Welcome back to Many Windows, the podcast about education for everyone who cares about education, which should be everyone in my mind. My name is John Cassie, and I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend and co-host, Jennifer McGlemory. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, John. I hear you're opening up a new school or something. I am opening a new school along with a dear friend and distinguished colleague, education change guru, Jim Han. The new school is called Qualia, the School for Deeper Learning, and we're based in Calabasas. And we are an extension of a learning model that Jim developed at Arate Preparatory Academy in West LA over the last 14 years. And, uh, you know, given that we live in a world where COVID-19 ongoing pandemic shapes the experience of schools and of learning, the facility in which uh, Arate was doing its work uh, was not really suited to uh, any kind of COVID, uh, you know, kind of almost any kind of protocol is not going to work in that space. It was very small, right? We have a beautiful new facility in the Las Virginas Unified School District, uh, and we are hard at it. And visit www.qualiaschool.org, listeners of many windows, if you're interested in seeing the work that I'm doing when I'm not podcasting with Jennifer. So when Jennifer, now you guys are in session, right? Oh yeah, we, so we, this is the start of our third week. When do you guys open? We open uh, for what we're calling our September Institute, which is a day and a half long meeting of students and faculty to decide on our learning themes for the year, how we're going to govern ourselves, democratic procedures, things of that sort. It's these these things we value, right? Uh, so we'll have uh, about a day and a half of that. And then first day of class is September 13th. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah, getting close, I bet. Yep, yep. It just means that more hours in the day are, are taken up with the impossible amount of work that is inherent in getting a school off the ground. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. Super fun, but yeah, but there's a lot. Well, speaking of dear friends, I was just thinking we've not had this friend of yours on. We may have to schedule him for uh, maybe we'll have to look at having our next season built around innovations and learning or something like that. It's but, a great idea. Yeah. Um, today's guest is somebody that I've wanted to have on since day one. And in fact, every episode, I think, gosh, what would April Weaver think about mm -hmm. this? Uh, uh, and I can't believe it's taken us three, this, this is three seasons before we have her on, but she's a dear friend of mine. We've worked together for 20 years and I'm so excited to have you on today, April. Say hello to everyone. Hi. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm Great so to have you on the show, April. Oh, thank you so much, you guys. Right April now. and I always invent um, podcasts that we're going to do together. Yeah. Yes, um, we do. That's right. And uh, But neither of us has the um, technical ability no. to do more than just record it. And yeah. so it never will get to the air. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. brainstorm <laughs> competing yeah. podcasts. and <laughs> right. Yeah, big ideas. Yeah. Not a lot of execution. That's a great podcast title. There we go. Oh, big ideas, it, but flawed execution. <laughs> this is big ideas, but flawed execution with, in the role of April, April Weaver, my name is Jennifer McGlemory. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, yeah. God. So what this season has been really about um, representation in literature, right? Particularly of underrepresented groups or, and going back and tracing some of the history, um, uh, thinking about how we can infuse our English classes and all of our um, work that we do with current literature that deals with the themes of race and culture and um, gender identity. Uh, so we've had, that's what our episodes have been so far. And I've been always in the back of my mind wanting to do this episode and knowing that it's an important part of this, uh, uh, this work that we're doing here about um, disabilities and disability study. And I had the opportunity to, to teach a great class um, this summer where we looked at the intersection of critical race theory and disability studies. And, um, and I just knew that this would always be one of our episodes. And, and I also knew from the beginning that I wanted you to be on here with me, April, because I, I always feel that when I started my own personal education in learning about kids who didn't learn the same way that I did, who had learning differences, it was, it was April who was with me in the classroom. We co-taught together. I was the gen ed English teacher and she mm. was the special education professional who helped me with um, students in my class who learned differently. And I have learned everything that I know. Well, listeners know I did a whole episode on special education. Listeners know that, <laughs> right, right. that you know, now it's a real passion of mine. And, and April is a real credit to my learning and why I know anything at all. And she's still the person that I go to today when I have questions. Oh, thanks, Jennifer. That's your big intro. Thanks. Well, I mean, I got to say that I'm super happy that you're doing this episode because oftentimes I feel like when people are talking about representation, they only think of like cultures and ethnic representation. Right. And when they talk about DEI, they don't think about uh, people with disabilities as a group. And they're often overshadowed and overlooked. And so I'm really glad you guys are doing this episode because it is still a, it's a group that needs that still needs advocates and still needs people talking and, and fighting for them. Absolutely. Um, when we the the episode that we did on LGBTQ, I went back and I kind of traced the history of that literature at which went way further back than mm -hmm. I had realized. And so right, I started right. thinking about that as well. Oh, by the way, John, I watched Boys Boys in the Band, the right? Boys in I, the Band, yeah. Boys in the Band. I watched that since our last episode. Right. Uh, that was I, my- the, the new one, right? Yes, the new one. Yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's our Netflix plug for today. <laughs> uh, but I was thinking a little bit coming up to this episode, because of course, uh, current young adult fiction now just has such great representation. I think for me, it's about reading books in which there are naturally these characters that represent all the different people in our lives and they're not shoved in a book. It's not necessarily about a character who is black or about a character who is struggling with their gender identity, though it might be a sub subplot running throughout. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I was seeing some of the same things about um, disabilities. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, I was wondering 
I remember when I was in school, I was probably in like fourth or fifth grade. I went to a, a private Christian school. And so we had chapel once a week. And I vividly remember a guest coming to our chapel who painted with her feet. She, her story is like at about age 20 ish, she dove off of a boat, you know, and hit a rock that you couldn't see in the water, smack on top of her head and paralyzed her whole back and spinal cord and couldn't really move anything except she could move her toes. And mm -hmm. apparently she was an artist before this happened. And so she taught herself to paint with her feet. And she had written a book. Her name is Joni Erickson. I think I've got that right. I should have looked it up before the, that'll have, that's what we can put in the show notes. Uh, that's what the show notes are, April, is all the corrections to the things that I just try and say off the cuff and then get wrong. <laughs> it's really just corrections corner. But I was like, does, has anybody else heard of this person? Or was this like a real niche area? Because she, she was probably like also spreading the word of God at the same time. So oh, yeah, yeah. maybe that's more why she was at our chapel. Well, it's so funny that you just mentioned this because I was just having a conversation with my husband yesterday and he said, hey, did you know the Paralympics are like totally going on right now and there's no news coverage? And I was like, oh, like, I think I maybe saw something vaguely. And he's like, nothing. He's like, regular Olympics, you can't get it off the TV. He's, but then he says, do you know there's a blind backstroker in the Paralympics? Right, right. And then, you know, and then he goes, and there's a guy who's an archer with, and he can only shoot with his feet. Oh, and wow. He's like, yeah. And he goes, and these are people that compete in are in regular competitions, like they're world renowned anyway, but they're only regulated to the Paralympics that we do not really ever get to see. And then we were talking about like how much more exciting would the Paralympics be <laughs> than the right. regular Olympics? But this is all going back to our culture, right? We don't see Paralympics. They're not gonna show it. That's not gonna make the news because our culture is obsessed with perfection, right. which is why we're obsessed with the regular Olympics. And I mean, it's, um, you know, somebody gets water in their goggles during the regular Olympics, and it is like the craziest news story that's ever happened. But meanwhile, there's a girl who can swim the backstroke and she's blind. But At an Olympic standard, by the way. Yeah, yeah, Olympic right, standard. Right, right. She would crush any Everybody. one of the three of us, right? Right. Crush. Right. Yeah, these people are like ranked nationally, but right. you know, they're not. So it that goes to kind of a little bit about what we're talking about. Right. You know, you you'd think that that NBC and these other networks with an opportunity to do two more weeks of cultural programming about the city because it's in the same place, yeah. right? Yeah. Would be like, ah, oh, well, we've got this extraordinary opportunity to do all of this. Uh, you know, we get all the great sports footage, right? Mm -hmm. And we get to do another two weeks of mm -hmm. Tokyo or whatever. I mean, it's not like yeah. the Paralympics are in some third rate mm -mm. suburb in the middle of nowhere where there isn't anything to look at. It's the same <laughs> facilities. It's the same facilities, right? So, yeah, yeah so that, that, you know, April makes your point yeah. that it's really just a kind of discriminatory gaze 
Yeah. Right. You know, it's a lens that this is a thing and this is some other thing. Yeah. And it's really problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's separate, but equal. Right. Yeah. And yet everybody's still okay with it. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of it is probably also not just like the media. It's just that nobody would watch it Mm -hmm. or, or because from my experience of working in, you know, special education, and I've actually been around disability my whole life since, because my sister has a disability and we just mm. grew up like this and difference makes people uncomfortable. Mm. And so that is kind of the root of, of all of it is people wouldn't want, it would make people uncomfortable, I think, to see, to see some of these, some of these athletes that maybe look really different. Than, than what they're expecting. Right. So I think and that yet that's... so much of the Olympics, you know, we don't know who any of the people are in the Olympics. And so they do these athlete profiles and tell their backstory and all the hardship they had to get where they are. I mean, the, it's also like, I don't know that anyone would care that much about the regular Olympics if it wasn't all over our television, all over the billboards, all over the buses, right? If the advertising dollars wasn't, wasn't behind it. So yeah. I, wa- I wonder, it seems like somebody could make the Paralympics into something just as enjoyable to watch as much as the yeah. Olympics are enjoyable to watch, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you're well, really like athletes, somebody. people who watch yeah. the Olympics would way be excited, I think, to see the Paralympics. Yeah. Because you know, people who love athletes and athletics right. would be like blown away. That's what, I mean, I watched like little excerpts, I have to be honest, this year. Uh, And what I love is they just tell you a little bit about some of these people, so Mm -hmm. now you're invested. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I'm not really that interested Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. any of these uh, (laughs) sports. Whatever, fencing, I mean, I like sports, but all these different, (laughs) I don't don't really care about fencing that much, but now I care that there's this young person from the United States who never ever has won a gold and, Oh, okay, now I'm now I'm interested. Right, right, right. Yeah, so that is really interesting. That like, why wouldn't they just take that same idea and apply it to the Para Olympics? Yeah. I mean, look uh, from from my my lens, the success of the 2005 documentary Murder Ball, mm-hmm. right, which is about physically disabled mm-hmm. rugby players yeah. playing, you know, in these mm-hmm. in these badass battle chairs. I mean, that they would. Uh, that was just insane to watch. So, you know, I, I don't know enough about Paralympics to, to know the answer to this. There's so many sports mm-hmm. in, in Olympic, the, the Olympic context. I don't, I don't, it's not like I know all the Olympic sports either. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wonder if there are sports that are similar to sort of murder ball that are so modified mm-hmm. that they're essentially like your volleyball, your beach volleyball, and then this other kind of uh, another version Right, mm-hmm. that has equal uh, aesthetic, artistic, physical merit, but it's just a different thing, mm-hmm. right? Because you'd think, okay, well, you know, if if these you know networks or programmers were uncertain about where the audience is, yeah, well, just start, to start throw there, right? Just to throw another layer on nope. top of this about our culture. Okay, the Paralympians are super offended if you call it the Special Olympics, right? Because the Special Olympics is not the same thing as the Paralympics, but the Paralympics, like they'll get super offended 
And then it's interesting to think of, even though these are all people with disabilities, mm -hmm. they don't want to be associated with the Special Olympics. Mm -hmm. So you, within the disabled community, and not, not necessarily within the disabled community, but I think even within our culture, there are layers of good disability versus bad disability. Like, that's a good one. That's an okay disability to have. And then there's bad ones that you don't want. And a lot of it has to do with your cognitive ability. A lot of it has to do with um, your behavior, your, your sensory, all of that stuff. And so like when I was kind of looking at books for this episode and I'm kind of like Googling, like trying to remind myself, what, what is it? And I'm seeing all the pictures of kids in wheelchairs. So kids in wheelchairs is the image that is used to depict um, being nice to people with this, you know, this is a book that's inclusive because there's a kid with a wheelchair on the cover. Mm. But in actuality, there are very few kids with wheelchairs. Like I think in my whole career, there was one student yeah. Yeah. in a wheelchair. And I think that, that it gives this false idea of like, and creates this weird like issue between physical disabilities versus mental disabilities and mental health disabilities and, and just basic human needs, you know, and like how we have to treat people like humans and teach kids to accept people for who they are. And so anyway, that's just a whole nother layer. It's really quite interesting if you take a step back and start really looking at how people are that are different, not even necessarily disabled, but just who just they're different for some reason and mm -hmm. how how they're depicted in our culture, in our books, in our movies, and then who is who's seen as special and then who's seen as not, mm -hmm. you know, bad, right. you know. Well, one of the questions or books that I particularly wanted to talk about, and I mentioned this to April, is, you know, thinking about these, these books recently that are about disability. And the first one that popped to my mind that was mm -hmm. such a phenomenon was the book Wonder. Mm -hmm. And I realized immediately after having that thought, oh, this is a book about physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he's cognitively able. And that's part of the, that's partly why you feel sorry for him is because right. he's aware that he's different and that people are making fun of him, you know? And so, uh, no, that book always, it kind of did blow my mind because it's like, it was a book and it was a good book. I yeah. read it. And then all of a sudden there's like calendars and coffee right. mugs and groups and book club. And I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> so yeah, there's that, that like tagline that carried over from that book that you see on posters and in education. It's uh, like, when given the choice between being right and being kind, choose kind, right? And it's like, well, write about right. what? <laughs> like when you start to really That's break true. it down and look at it from this kind of uh, ableism right. lens. Yes, yes. Uh, and I think that that was probably, I'm being too hard on this book because it had this great teacher who would do the precepts and yeah. you know the whole class was, 
yeah. was kind of trying to do something else along with um, this child being in the story, Augie yeah. being in the story in his own personal, you know, coming to school for the first time after being homeschooled because of this physical deformity that honestly is the, the hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. Like, it's just right. a retelling of that story to a certain extent. Like, oh my gosh, this person, yeah. even though they're physically deformed, is actually a kind person? How is that possible? <laughs> Who can go to school? What? And, right. and do everything kids can do? It's amazing. <laughs> the other book I was thinking about that's not really young adult fiction, but was getting more more to what I'm interested in when we're looking at representation yeah. is the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wrote right? that one down. Yeah, that was one I was thinking about too. And that suddenly blew the top off of um, autism and uh, yeah. recognizing that there yeah. are people with autism around us and some of their struggles and they can overcome them. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought that was fantastic, actually. what is April, what was your... Your no, I did. I did like that book. I do remember when that book came out and I remember somebody saying the the main character has autism and I was like, whoa, really? And I really do remember like running out to get that book because at that time, even autism wasn't something that was a um, household word, mm -hmm. right? I mean, people had maybe heard of it, it but it was not something that was as... Um, prevalent as it is now and the awareness around it now. And um, I did like that book because it wasn't all about his autism, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't also all about him having some special gift. And this is something that I really struggle with, with a lot of um, literature is that this idea that sometimes these kids or these people have these special gifts and they're superstars or they're super amazing or something, you know, and, and I, I appreciate the idea of, you know, trying to build, you know, awareness of strengths but I do think it's detrimental sometimes when we give um, the cult, everybody the idea that there is a superpower associated with some disabilities, especially with autism. I remember talking to a friend because we had a student with autism who he had, you know, very pretty moderately disabled, you know, very and 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 my friend was like, well, why hasn't anybody figured out what he's amazing at yet? And I was like, oh, no, oh, <laughs> you're looking for the suit. You think that there's something deep inside his brain that's like a beautiful mind mm -hmm. or something that's going to be amazing and, and blow, you know, solve some sort of like weather crisis or something, you know, just something amazing. Oh, I and, remember like uh -huh. 60 minutes showing, you know, yeah. this kid, you could just play any piece of music and then he could sit down and play it. Right. You, you know, he could not have any kind of conversation with a person. <laughs> yeah. Right. He was pretty yeah. impacted by yeah. his autism, but he had this, you know, what sometimes was called splinter skills yeah. or this just extreme unique ability and you're right you're absolutely right that it, it became this idea that mm -hmm. um 
that, this that they're savants, right? Yeah, savant. right, right. There you go. That whole That's term, it. that whole term, idiot savant, is is basically the old term for person with autism who has these you know, amazing splinter skills. And what I like to say is like, that's great that that kid could sit down and write and listen to that music, right? But again, like, let's look at the whole child. What else does that kid need and how else can we work with them? And that's not really something that, I don't know how to say it. You know, it's, it's you, it can't really be a career. No, <laughs> a lot of, no, like, a lot of times you right. to really have a career yeah. in something. You yeah. have to have the social component. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Almost everything. Yeah. yeah. What, and what, I think, okay, go ahead. No, Sorry. go April, finish. And then oh, I'll make, I, was I, just, I may be taking us in another again. direction a little bit. So. Oh no. Yeah. Just like, yeah, I, that's what I was just saying. I just think it's dangerous sometimes. And I think that parents will get the impression that they have to find that, amazing thing about their kid that uh that savant part of them and they're searching for it and it may not right. be there right right you know you're uh, th th this is sort of bringing up and we talked a little bit about this in some of the previous episodes these media representations that are actually uh counterproductive or negative or mm -hmm. that lead to a uh, an excessively shallow or distorted or warped view of what we're, uh, you know, mm -hmm. of what we're looking for, right? So what we're looking for is an is an authentic mm -hmm. representation in the media that children are going to encounter in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, right. in their, you know, in their their learning and and you know as they go, right? right? And you know, I'm mindful, you know, Jennifer's history of LGBTQ literature, mm -hmm. showing that there's no there doesn't appear to be any trans characters who aren't suffering or punished until mm -hmm. less than 10 years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think in the, in the literature that I read, right. Which is largely sort of from the sci-fi kind of perspective, mm -hmm. right. There's been great progress in gender fluidity, mm -hmm. sexuality, right movements in terms of you know everyone isn't you know a white guy speaking a europeanish you know language you know tolkien-esque kind of stuff right um but i'm not sure that i've seen the same degree of movement uh you know right. in, in in this in this angle right um i've seen yeah. some things right that were yeah. provocative and interesting but but not not to the level in the other representations that we've talked about in this season. No, I think it's because people with disabilities can't necessarily write, you know, like I see you can write. If you are a person of color, you can write about your experience. If you sure. are transgender, you can write about your experience. Cause I, and honestly, little side note, memoirs are amazing. Like if I right. really want to learn about people and cultures, I read memoirs. Like that's right. really where I go. But often people with disabilities, they can't write. They literally can't talk some of them mm -hmm. they do not have the ability so there's really it's really hard to find authentic voices from people who are experiencing these kinds of challenges and i think a lot of people try to do it and i know there's a lot of books where the main characters 
either the parent is disabled, that happens a lot in YA. The parent mm -hmm. is disabled mm -hmm. and the kid is the one who has to take care of the parent. Um, but I feel like they do try to create these characters and I appreciate that. And I think some of them work. Uh, Freak the Mighty, I think does the best job. I love that book. Um, uh, but again, a lot of it, they just, they miss a little bit. There's always just kind of a miss. And I really do think it's because the author is trying and sometimes they're putting on like, they're just putting on like kind of stereotypes at some, at some point too. I don't know how to fix that problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. I think it would be easier in film and TV to start having characters because you could possibly have a character and then it's, you can show that character doing things or, or doing something and it's not about a disability, but I think it might be harder in literature to do mm -hmm. that, to show, because really technically you're just a person, right? So it would be really hard, I think, to do, to, to do that. But yeah. I was just, looking at you know uh i just kind of googled um books about or mm -hmm. YA fiction with mm -hmm. characters with disabilities mm -hmm. and i got a list of 20 you know probably from mm -hmm. the last year or two and was scanning through and there's a blind character you know there's a deaf character or one mm -hmm. a, a book about a blind character a book about a deaf character one about a girl with crohn's disease mm -hmm. which i thought was kind of interesting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then one that I, uh, but I had to go through about 20 to find one that's just about a character with a learning disability. Yeah. Mm. And mm. so I picked that up and read it and it's oh. called Pinned and, and the girl's a wrestler. So she's a high school oh, wow. student. She's black and wow. she has a very, a, a pretty serious learning disability. She is, is reading multiple grade levels below and she's yeah. at the point where she's an amazing wrestler which is pretty cool she's yeah. well known at the school because she's breaking mm -hmm. all these boundaries she's a female wrestler mm -hmm. but she's at the point where she, she's not going to be able to wrestle because she can't keep her gpa up yeah because yeah. she's failing classes because she can't read and what i thought they did really well in this book is sh showed her just frustration with doing the work and then being like forget this like i i this is and and some of the avoidance strategies yeah. that we see kids yeah. use when they have had years of failure at something sure. sure um and then her mom and dad are really trying to help her and they both of them probably only read at, at the fourth grade reading level themselves mm -hmm. and and it what's interesting is that it's told from the point of view of two different characters her character and then there's a boy who's in a wheelchair who she really likes and she talks to him but he's very very smart and he actually is very haughty mm -hmm. he's, um, and she tries to talk to him about how their how their disabilities are similar and different mm -hmm. and it was really well done I thought it was a quick read called pinned p-i-n-n-e-d We'll put in the show notes who the author is. Yeah. Um, but I just read that this weekend and it was it was kind of the first of its kind for me. It dealt with a lot of different interesting things um, that we don't usually see mm -hmm. in uh, in our literature about disabilities. Mm -hmm. the, mo right, the right. most common. 
disability, yeah. learning disability, right? Yeah. How often do we, do we have a character that's just... Yeah. Well, and then the characters that are, that are, you know, struggle in school, they're often like juvenile delinquents right, and right. drug dealers. And, you know, and it's like, what about the sweet little kid who just tries super hard every single day and they just have issues with memory. So they can't remember anything and they can't, you know, put these concepts together. And I mean, now you guys are motivating me. Now I feel like I have to go write a book. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I'm like, ah, now I have to go write these stories. But uh -huh. <laughs> because it's true. I mean, I, I mean, I think about this stuff a lot. I'm always thinking about this. I was thinking about what not to read, right? <laughs> so all right. these things kept popping up going, oh, that needs to go. Like nobody better read Flowers for Algernon ever again right the gold standard of <laughs> yeah oh, like, i don't know right please stop reading that in school um but um there was another one i just googled so i don't know have you read this one jennifer it's called i wrote it down it's called roll with it about a girl again she's in a wheelchair, in a wheelchair. let me guess in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> but she like loves baking and she wants to be part of this like baking championship. Mm. And she's tired of everybody telling her like, she's not going to be able to do it. And you know, she's gonna... And so I'm like, that seems interesting. And I like baking. So that might be a good one. I'm going to have to check that one out for sure. Oh, the wrestler and pinned also is a great baker. She wants to open oh, up a, okay. a bakery with her friends. Oh no. Is this a new stereotype? Mm -hmm. <laughs> The disabled baker. <laughs> the disabled baker. I'm seeing a theme emerging that I don't want to see emerging. <laughs> I know. I'm like, uh-oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I know. Isn't right. that funny? That's so funny. Oh. Um, but there's also the one I want to just touch on as well is the deaf community. Yes. Um, right? So there's a great graphic novel, El Defo. Oh, um, have you read that? Because that yeah. was one that I have not read yet. Okay. I haven't read it. It's good? Super good. Super good. And it just, and it also, as we're thinking about you know, these crossover, we can't, we can't help but talk about crossovers between yeah. film right. and literature, right. but you know, this, the sound of metal that just came out, right? Did you That's, guys see that? Yes. Extraordinary. Was, yes. I love and it. That highlights, you know, the, the deaf community. Yes. Kind of in, in what it is right now, which is like, yeah, we're not disabled. Yeah. We just don't hear and we still yeah. communicate effectively the same way. And we don't want anyone fixing us. And we don't want, uh, you know, uh, so many, uh, so many people in the deaf community are against the cochlear implants. And I thought that was such an mm -hmm. interesting, you know, representation. They did such a great mm -hmm. job, but mm -hmm. that's another thing where you talk about books to get rid of. I can't name one off the top of my head, but it's an idea that needs to be gotten rid of that we need to fix all of these people yes. yes that are broken that we have this ableist viewpoint that yes. you know and, and this idea of perfection that we started yes. off talking about yep. the olympics that yep. just glorifies this perfect body that frankly none of us have right <laughs> except for right. the handful of people over in the olympics right. um and then you know, watching the olympics and seeing the difference between uh, you know, a weightlifter, a fencer, uh, a, oh, right. a, a judo, a rhythmic gymnast, bup, 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 right? Mm -hmm. That those are the gold standard in sort of distorted body image. 
right? Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. these people have bodies that have been shaped mm-hmm. to do this one task really, really, really effectively, right? Mm-hmm. And don't don't use it as a measure of anything other than mm-hmm. well, that's sort of what it looks like when you are a weightlifter or mm-hmm. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You know. No, it's. I mean, I think this idea of perfection. Um, it, oh shoot, I just lost my train of thought. Edit that out. <laughs> it's going in April. I had a good one too. <laughs> I'll put it in the bloopers. <laughs> well, I think, oh, oh, okay. Here's, here it is. Here it is. Okay. So this, I mean, and this is going to be interesting, but I've been thinking a lot about how a lot of times people, you know, are uncomfortable with disability or the way, why, why was wonder so great, right? Why was it so popular? And I think it's because ultimately human beings love thinking that they're nice and wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. Humans love rooting for the underdog. They love thinking that they are the nicest, kindest people in the world. You know, I've met how many countless teachers who are like, Black Lives Matter, and then, you know, fight to keep those horrible novels in their classroom or want to kick all the special ed kids out of their class or something, you know, we have this warped perception that like, we're really nice and wonderful and loving and kind, but then the actuality is they wouldn't be accepting of a lot of these people who are different or really accepting of culture or really accepting or listening to what people need. And so, um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think that, that people love these books and movies because I think they love thinking that they are loving and accepting, but I don't know if they truly understand or accept people's differences. I don't know if humans can do that if they can really love and accept. I think some people can, but I think it's really hard for people to, to really, if that makes them uncomfortable, to really accept people for who they are. You know, I think you're right that it's not our natural human instinct mm-hmm. to really be inclusive. Our, our brain is a sorting machine yeah. and we want to group ourselves with people that are like us, whether you're talking about race, Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, ableism or any of these, any of these things that we have been talking about. And it, you're, what you're saying is making me think about the, the proposito complex, you know, for our English learners who come in and because we can't communicate with them and they're not speaking my language, I need to help them and save them. And I'm not honoring the knowledge Mm -hmm. that they bring in their primary language because I don't understand it. Yeah. And in, in some ways that's very similar and, but we have to really actively work at yeah. recognizing that bias we have within mm-hmm. ourselves that because, and I see this all the time in education, teach, just very generally teachers teach the way that they learn Yep. and people learn all different ways. And many teachers were very good students who learned things very quickly mm-hmm. and could had a great memory. And so they just teach assuming all of their kids' mm-hmm. brains are just like theirs and that they mm-hmm. get things in the same way. And whether a child has a 
a disability or a learning difference, mm -hmm. as they call it in, in the UK, which I think is, mm -hmm. is getting in the right direction of understanding mm -hmm. and just getting rid of this word disability and just calling it a difference, helping us understand that because they learn something differently or it takes them a few more repetitions or you know there there's there's something else that is mm -hmm. valuable that they learn and do mm -hmm. that 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 they don't have to strive for this perfect grades or perfect human being right. that somehow we've got to get rid of that idea well yeah and timelines the COVID has taught me right. anything it's taught me that learning doesn't have timelines mm -hmm. and i think we get obsessed that you have to know something at a certain day right or a certain year or a certain week and like everybody's like learning loss learning loss and it's like yeah why can't anything. we just calm down and take it from here like <laughs> what what are we racing for what where are we going and like there might be a kid who yeah maybe it takes them a couple more times maybe it takes them a couple more years maybe that kid will never learn the multiplication tables and you know what who cares it's okay let's figure it out you know it, it doesn't have to be that you have to remove them from your world and your life and one thing i think that teachers get really hung up i think that teachers really do want to help yeah. all kids and they don't like to watch a kid fall behind right and then they feel i'm not the right teacher for them this kid's falling behind they need to be moved to a new class because the, the kid's falling behind but that moving to a new class is so has yes. so many consequences to right. it that yeah. they think they're doing the right thing by being like this kid needs a new teacher because i'm not good enough to be this kid's teacher not understanding moving them it doesn't make them learn this stuff they're yeah. not now all of a sudden gonna know their multiplication tables right. or whatever right. it is because there's magic going on in that other room <laughs> there's, no, there's right. no magic the kid is still struggling and now right. they're away from their peers you know right in this classroom in the parallel universe right next yeah. door there hasn't been a COVID 19 pandemic and so yeah. everything is going along just the same there's no opportunity to learn what we ought to be doing differently and you know you're, you're just gonna tick tick over just mm -hmm. doing doing school yeah i mean i just think we have to stop with all this like my kids behind or this kid behindness behind, or yeah. yeah behindness like is there an expiration date on learning i don't think so yeah like, right. i learn things every day was i supposed to have learned that thing before i don't know but i learned it now because my brain was ready to learn it and i was in an opportunity to authentically learn whatever i was supposed to be learning right, right. so you know right so april we're coming mm -hmm. towards the end of our of our time together are there other other you know we've asked uh, this question of other of other folks we've had on this season are there other media plays uh movies oh. television right that you think a teacher who's really being intentional mm -hmm. about crafting a message that is thoughtful to the question of representation Boy, you really ought to also watch X. You know, your kids are watching everything and, and, and you know, sometimes they're watching good mm. stuff and sometimes, right. you know, they're watching mm -hmm. dubious stuff, right? 
Yeah. Uh, so anything, anything in that come to mind? It's hard. Okay. So I have a son Yo. and he's seven. So yeah. I don't know a lot about older stuff, but I got to tell you odd squad on, uh, odd squad. I don't know if it's Nickelodeon or not. It's great. Okay. It's about all these kids and they solve these mysteries about things that happen that are odd just odd things that happen in our world. This show makes and, me so happy. I've never watched it. I have oh, to watch this show and right it's now. Ma- it's kind of math focused, right? You're killing me. But I loved it because it, all these kids, they're all, it's a super diverse cast, even kids, you know, with disabilities. It is never once brought up ever about any of their differences but they all have these strengths. They all have something that's special about them that helps them solve these mysteries. And I just thought it was great. And my son used to watch Odd Squad and I fully support it. And I bought him the t-shirt and um, he, he was gonna be Odd Squad for Halloween. And I mean, we were gonna get his kid friends together to be Odd Squad. So I really, that is one that for younger kids, mm-hmm. Odd Squad, it's great. Love it. I have to say, I watched this documentary that I'd never heard of, and it's from like maybe the 60s or 70s, and it's called Crip Camp, C-R-I-P, Camp, C-A-M-P. And it's about this camp for people with physical disabilities primarily, but there are a number of people with autism and like real severely impacted by autism. Mm -hmm. And... It's a, it's a full just documentary there. There's a, the guy that goes in there, he's taking footage and then he reflects back because one of the campers who's a teenager in the sixties, she kind of leads this disability um, rights movement um, for uh, it's, it's just that you got to watch it. It's so great. I'd never heard anything about it, but talking about just under the thing that was so cool is like all the campers are around and, one of the campers, you can barely understand her. I think she has cerebral palsy or something where you can, you know, her speech is just so difficult to understand, but she's speaking mm-hmm. and it's very slow and labored mm-hmm. and you can't, no one can really understand her. Like the interviewer can't really understand her, but everybody just stops and is quiet mm-hmm. and lets her speak. Yeah. And then the interviewer kind of looks around and he's like, anybody and one guy at the table is like i think what she was saying was you know Mm -hmm. and he goes and he says is that what you were saying and she kind of says yes but it's this really amazing moment and it just shows all of these people respecting one another's differences Um, and they're very severe differences some of them i i can't recommend it enough i just saw it i think you can just find it on netflix but on netflix yep yeah. Uh, quick, I forgot though, Love on the Spectrum. Oh, yeah. Cannot rem- forget Love on the Spectrum. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Amazing. Put that down. One of the things that I, I mean, I watched it and I was like, this is one of the only things that depicts people with autism, like in the most wonderful, realistic light. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, well, I feel like we barely scratched the surface, but we had great discussion. Right, right. Thank you. I love talking about this. Yeah, April, this was great. All right, Good. so next time we have you on, we'll be asking you about your book. You'll be part <laughs> of right. our author series. That's right, yeah. 
So chop, chop, April. Get to it. Thanks, guys. This Uh, is super fun. I love it. Same. Uh, And uh, listeners, we'll be back again soon with another uh, episode in season three about representation. Jennifer, we've got a few more to go in this in this theme before we uh, wrap up the season, don't we? I th- uh, yeah, I think we've got at least one or two more. Yeah. Uh, next, I'd, I'm hoping we're going to do some things on some um, mental health issues. Yes. It's definitely on. And, and we've got a group of kids that we're trying to get booked onto the show that we're struggling a little bit yeah. with our, you know, but we're going to, we're going to keep going because we think some, you know, authentic student voices are what we're looking for too. Yeah. So sure. uh, April again, thank you so much. And uh, Jennifer, until next time. Thanks, April. Good to see you, John. Okay, bye now. Bye.